Hello, and welcome to Are You Karate Kidding Me? Your resource for recaps, reviews, and items of interest from all around the Miyagi-verse. I'm your host, Colin Kennedy. I am Jenny Carlson, also your host. That's right, we're co-hosting today, as we <laughs> as do always. ever. That's right. Uh, and we are coming to you on day two of Cobra Kai Season 5 premiere week. That is right, we are recording Tuesday, September 6th. 2022. Indeed we are. So for those of you just joining us, we are doing one of our patented recap episodes, one a week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, as a countdown to season five. Indeed. Because we've got the recaps locked and loaded and ready to go for y'all, and we are honor bound to release them all before season five drops late in the early Early hours of Friday morning, late in the hours of Thursday evening, depending on how you measure it. I think most of us are presuming a midnight release or shortly after midnight release, that is as Thursday turns into Friday. That usually winds up to be around 2 a.m. Central, our time. Presumably midnight Pacific, because that's where Netflix's big red button, I guess, is located. We don't know, though, because the only place that I've actually seen it listed that that is the time it will happen is Fansided, which is not an illegitimate website, but it's not like Netflix It's not an official itself. source. I don't know. Maybe I need a TV guide. Does TV guide exist? TV guide still exists, but wow. you don't want to mess with it. It's it's a shell of its former self. Oh, that makes me sad. Its former pulpy newspapery self. <laughs> At any rate, we are excited to be coming to you every day this week. And also, as we mentioned yesterday, we are excited to be guesting on Waiting in the Sky Pod, which drops on Thursday, talking about Cobra Kai. Looking back on what the show's already done. Imagining what would happen if different characters face off and anticipating the new season. So check us out there. Great show. That said, what is new in the extended universe of Cobra Kai fandom today? Well, as we discussed, it is season five premiere week. So the Cobra Kai Netflix industrial complex is in full swing promoting this thing and associated merchandising products such as the Cobra Kai 2 Dojo's Rising video game. Oh, yes, indeed. Which I just saw the trailer for. Yeah, UG um, voices the trailer. Yeah, scheduled for release this fall. I think Amazon had it pegged as October 14th, but, you know, these things are sometimes subject to change. But looks very exciting. If you played the first Cobra Kai console game, this is, again, for all modern consoles, you get to play as now you get to play all three dojos, Cobra Kai, Miyagi Do, and Eagle Fang. It's wild. I think in the preview I saw Johnny Lawrence fighting some Cobra Kai skeletons. Yeah, well, guys were enemies in the first game. They're they're basically the Goombas of the Cobra oh, Kai. Yeah, they're everywhere. Yes, you're right. So yeah, very exciting. I did have a have a great time playing the first game. I did not quite get to finish it because I got a lot of games on my plate, but I will definitely pick up the new one and play through them. I suppose at some point we're obligated to do a recap of the video games as well. I've been if, saying. If it's all in the Miyagi-verse, we have to cover it, right? That's so, right. That's right. But I guess we'll if we're going to do that, we might as well do the old Nintendo game and that uh, Cobra Kai Nintendo ROM hack as well. Wow. Yeah. Wow. We'll get to it all. We uh, Work hey, up we, a business plan and get back to me. Look, we said we cover the Miyagi-verse. That's what we're going to do. Another big piece of news that dropped today is that Cobra Kai is 100% certified fresh at Rotten Tomatoes. Very cool. Yeah, I could not be more excited. Well, I can't either. I, I mean, season four was so fresh. 
It was so very fresh. How could how could it possibly be as fresh, if not fresher? That, this is it wild. It will be the freshest show you know. The mind boggles. But keep your head on a swivel out there because uh, review copies and preview screeners are out in the ether and you might get spoiled. So, well, the yeah. discussion around spoiling on, on the social media at the moment is it boggles the mind because there's like layers upon layers of discussions of spoilers and who is spoiling. And my solution is to scroll through Twitter at 90 miles an hour and see if I just see like names of people I know who you know, are like official accounts or something that may not be the most productive way, but I don't want to get spoiled. My attitude has always just been, it takes two to spoil the spoiler and the spoilee. So as I said, me taking personal responsibility, I try to just keep my head on a swivel and avoid them. If you do have information, don't spoil it for people, if if at all possible. Well, and think about what a spoiler is. Like, you being the one to condition a person about a spoiler coming might also be a form of spoiling. But at the same time, I appreciate the heads up that there are spoilers out there because I don't want to get spoiled. In other news. In other news. We know that Cobra Kai did not win any Emmys at the Creative Arts Emmys. A damn shame as... You'd think they would be a lock for their fight choreography. But Ralph and Billy may appear in a subsequent broadcast of it because they presented. Another thing coming down the pike is con news, right? We're getting a lot Mm. more news of conventions bringing on Cobra Kai cast members. The one that I'm thinking of specifically is Rhode Island Comic Con. I know that Paul Walter Hauser has signed on to appear there. We also know that the fan art is off the chain. For sure. Be Water Creative has released some pretty incredible art. As does Lego Cobra Kai. (laughs) Our buddies at Cobra Kai Pod and the Cobra Kai Kid have released non-spoiler reviews. So if you want to read those, you know, you can go check them out from the fan side of things. I will not be reading those. Sorry, y'all. I just, I'm going in completely clean. I don't know anything. I don't know nothing about nothing. Uh, Except I did see that Rotten Tomatoes thing and that made me really happy. I think we're good. Yeah, indeed. Uh, All right. Well, then one more piece of business before we get into the recap today. Another project that we assigned ourselves for this season was a cocktail per episode. For reasons passing understanding, midway through the season, we decided we would start drinking a cocktail per episode. Or designing a cocktail per episode. I mean, the drinking is purely optional, depending (laughs) on the time of day that you're making this and what you're making. And how it looks. And how it looks. But... Uh, I mean, yeah, the idea was to switch it up this year, and little did we know that we would be doing an episode a day for a week. Indeed. (laughs) Which means we're on the hook for four cocktail recipes. What we're really doing is an intro a day, because our stuff has already been recorded and is in the hopper. So every day we we settle in and shake something up. Today, we are drinking a drink that I, I admit I got off the internet. It's not a great innovation. It's the tornado, according to the Spruce website, because of the flying tornado. Yes, today's cocktail is inspired by Johnny and McGill's training, the flying tornado. We could not find a watermelon-based cocktail that really sounded appetizing to us, but we did find the tornado, which is... Well, why don't you go ahead and give the rest? Yeah, okay, so it's it's not unlike a Long Island iced tea and that you have four types of booze and cola. And who are we kidding? Since we're in Texas, we're drinking Coca-Cola. Although it would be interesting with Dr. Pepper, a more Texan drink. mm, I'd like some RC cola in there, quite frankly. Yeah, yeah, that's a nice idea. Um, 
So here's what you do. You take one, and, and just remember, so that we're recording this in the middle of the day. Uh, we've had tiny sips. We had already prepared and tested this. This recipe has one ounce rum, well, strike ounces. Use your own chosen method of measurement. One part rum, one part tequila, one part vodka, one part whiskey, two parts cola, and then a teaspoon or so of granulated sugar. If you're using ounces for your parts, you would use a teaspoon of sugar. So if that gives you a sense of the conversion, a little dash. And again, this one is heavy duty. So this might be a nightcap or a digestif. I had a big lunch, so it's a digestif for me. <laughs> it is now. It is now. You definitely don't want to start off with this one. This is not like yesterday's moon juice fomosa. Like this is a little different. So you get your ingredients together, mix them up in a cocktail glass that is like a, a highball or a Collins. Um, put some sugar, stir it again, but don't stir it too well. Put a few ice cubes in and then add your cola. And the recipe is very pointed to say stir three times, serve with a straw. So you're, you're stirring three times because it makes a little tornado effect. Fine. Having seen like Star Trek where they make cocktails that like become 3D and do wild things, I expected more from the tornado, to be quite honest. You always do. I know. This is how the media gets you. This is how they get you. And and honestly, because they're kicking watermelons in the episode, or that's the implication, I wanted to make this a watermelon tornado. But I mean, you could do it with like some sort of watermelon soda. Yeah. I don't know how the fruitiness would ha would go with the smokiness of some of these uh, hard liquors, but yep. I don't know. Let me put it this way. You may want to increase the soda quotient if it's still a little too strong for you. Yeah. And if you want to drink the non-alcoholic version of this, I would say, you know, man, just get yourself a tall glass of Coke and maybe put in a drop or two of vanilla extracts sure hell you could even throw in the kombucha like well, that's a know. vanilla coke well that that's fair but just find a way to put multiple aromatic flavors into a cola fair and then knock yourself over the head because that's what will happen to you if you drink too much of this drink well congratulations i didn't think there would be a mocktail version of this but i think we did it well that was pure improvisation but i have a feeling that our listeners are intrepid enough to figure it out for themselves so, are you ready to get into it? I am so ready to well, get into this episode. Well, then let's jump in with Cobra Kai, Season 4, Episode 7, Minefields. Minefields, or are they your fields? <laughs> Oops. Before we begin, I just want to flag a couple things about this episode. First of all, it's directed by industry veteran Tanya McKiernan. She's directed episodes of a ton of tv shows from still <laughs> from silk stockings to the walking dead including an episode of one of our favorite shows the closer silk stockings oh, uh, oh oh sorry i mean the closer obviously wow and this episode also notably is written by bill posley and you might be like that guy from survivor yes he is from survivor one world but also he is a writer director and actor he had his directorial debut with Bitch Ass that's coming out in October. It's a horror film. And also he wrote and directed that. And notably for the Counterbalance Entertainment verse, he is penning Sam and Victor's Day Off at Paramount in collaboration with Heald, Hurwitz, and Schlossberg. Wow. Yeah. 
So, busy, busy. Yeah, so we're getting to watch his work here on Cobra Kai, and that's exciting. Absolutely. So, little little crossover with the news of the day that that Ferris Bueller's Day Off spinoff is coming soon. Open on Sweet Valley Junior High. Where Leah is walking by Anthony at a table in the library. She drops her copy of Beowulf. Man, it happens to us all, right? Anthony picks it up and tells her... Spoiler alert, it's not even about a werewolf. (laughs) (laughs) Well, now I don't want it. Yeah. So they take a little time to talk about Orwell and chickens and residential zoning. And Leah says that it would be nice to be friends like that again. Referring to their elementary school days. Yeah, I mean, Lee and Anthony talk Animal Farm v. Beowulf. It's a real meet-cute again, I guess. Boy, the kids in this show really seem like young adults, don't they? They do. Excuse me, I happen to be passing. I thought you'd might like some coffee. Thank you, I take it black, like my man. They do. They bear the weight of the world. And here, Anthony clearly wants more. Leah wants more from their relationship, but Anthony wants, let's call it, more more. And he's a little put out by her saying that they should be friends again. Not more than friends, even though they are adolescents. But then she walks over to say hi to Kenny, the strawberry ghost, referring to their prior banter. And Anthony looks on, angry that she's being nice to the new kid. How dare she? She put her hand on his shoulder. And then one of Anthony's other bully compatriots chimes in. Tiny bully. Tiny bully number one chimes in and says, Looks like everyone's doing something new. (laughs) To Anthony, he chides him regarding Kenny. Yeah, this is a callback to Tommy's line in The Karate Kid when the OG Cobras first appear at the beach and spot Allie hanging with Daniel. Over in the locker room, Kenny's headed for the showers with naught but a towel and underwear. So after getting ball busted, Anthony decides to grab Kenny's Cobra Kai garb and dash, creating an embarrassing situation for Kenny. Yeah, the tiny bully is talking about how Kenny stole LaRusso's girl. Anthony corrects him, but now he's emboldened to steal Kenny's clothes to exact revenge. And after Anthony does this, Kenny chases him out, only to find the other kids in the hallway laughing and pointing. That is actually a nightmare made real. Get the title card of the locker room door, and now we switch to Casa de Miguel. Miguel is warming up a little to remind us his back broke that one time. Miguel is engaging in some stretching since 6 a.m. And he tells Carmen that Sensei is going to kick his ass. And she asks him if he actually likes that. Sensei's going to be kicking our ass all week. There's a knock at the door and Johnny comes in to get him. And as Miguel ducks into Carmen's room for her car keys because his water bottle is in there, Johnny tells Carmen that they should tell Miguel about their relationship tonight. And also asks if Johnny's not going to back out this time. So it sounds like Johnny's having some trouble breaking the news to Miguel. I think we should tell him tonight. Yeah, okay. As usual, Carmen and Johnny... Are you sure you're not going to back out this time? I just wanted to make sure we did it the right way. Want to wait for the right time. But it's too late, as Miguel has found Johnny's nearly 40-year-old headband, which, by the way, an ex-girlfriend gave him, strewn beside Carmen's pillow. Back in the kitchen, Johnny wants to take Miguel out to his favorite restaurant to grease the wheels, but Carmen tells him it's Applebee's. That's not going to work out, Johnny replies. (laughs) A... Reference to the infamous Applebee's incident. Yeah, he's about to elaborate the things that went south in regards to their loaded potato soup, but Miguel walks in and unfurls the headband. Uh, Sensei, I think this is yours. (laughs) Meanwhile, at the LaRusso Mance, Anthony is up in Leah's socials. 
Yeah, Anthony is low-key cyber-stalking Leah's Instagram, which is weird, because I didn't think kids under 18 were allowed to have Instagram accounts. Oh, I think so many of them do. But that's when Daniel catches Kenny's Cobra Kai gear in Anthony's room, and he's got some splaining to do. The moral of this episode thus far, two scenes after the credits, is clean up your room, folks. Daniel thinks this is some form of teen rebellion, that Anthony has joined Cobra Kai to get back at his old dad. But Anthony lies by saying, No, 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 it's, it's not mine. It's, uh, you know, I'm holding it for a friend. Now he's telling Daniel, Okay, um, there's this kid in school who's, uh... That he's being bullied by a Cobra Kai. He's been giving me a hard time. Are you okay? What did they do? Uh-oh, well... That's very Mr. Wickham in Pride and Prejudice. No, with you I must be entirely open. Scenes might arise unpleasant to more than myself. I do understand, and I admire your forbearance. Yes. Well, Daniel is sorry that Anthony has to put up with this stuff, he says. Anthony's not dumb. He knows that Daniel's vulnerable spot is guilt about this. But then he tells Anthony, you know, you're not a kid anymore. It's time. And adds that Anthony should get changed. Is Anthony going to learn Miyagi-Do? Get changed for what, though? Painting fences? Fixing cars? What do we think? God, I don't know. I mean... What kills me is that Anthony has never once in his life learned one Miyagi-Do move. I mean, if he did, it was something so low-key that not even Anthony knows he learned it, like mop the floor. Yeah, no, Anthony would never mop a floor. Cut to Cobra Kai. And I can't take any more of their crap. Where Kenny is super aggro, he's knocking the shit out of a fancy new dummy, while laden with fancy Cobra Kai swag, it's the souped-up version of Miguel knocking the shit out of the dummy in season one when he's upset about being bullied and Daniel knocking the shit out of himself against Terry Silver's wooden dummy when he's being turned into a bully in the Karate Kid Part 3. Oh yeah, he's working the bag and complaining to Robbie that he has to do something about this bully situation with Anthony LaRusso. Well, I gotta do something. Yeah, Robbie spots trouble coming and he wants Kenny to check his rage, but Kenny wants to kick all their asses. Robbie says, I got kicked out of school and landed in juvie. You gotta be smarter than me and your brother. PolitiFact equals true on that one. Well, I gotta do something, he replies. That's right. But that's when Crease and Silver come in with an important lesson, exploiting weakness. Shocking. Your opponent's weakness must be recognized and exploited, and we all have one, says Terry. And Tori admiringly interrupts, saying, Sensei Crease doesn't. Man, these kids are really dressed to the nines in karate gear. Only the best for Cobra Kai. Although they're not wearing geese, right? I mean, they look like... Yeah, they've got athletic and athleisure wear on. It's a lot of moisture-wicking fabrics. Yep. A lot of, like, Under Armour gear, and I'm sure there's some sort of brand integration here. I'm sure there is a storefront somewhere where you can get all this swag. This is very Silicon Valley imagines what karate looks like and gives kids a bunch of stuff. So Tori has just said... Sensei Kreese doesn't. And Terry scoffs. Of course he does. We all do. As Kreese looks at him in surprise, you know, you should never challenge the alpha. <laughs> that is the fourth secret directive of Quicksilver. <laughs> yeah. Just like Robocop has a fourth secret directive, so does Quicksilver Method. Kreese doesn't know what's up, but he wants to spice things up by choosing and betting on fighters with a six-pack as the spoils. So he and Kreese decide to do sensei bets on who wins the sparring matches. May the best sensei win. Wow, these guys seem like so much fun. I don't know. Everything they do seems to be laden with very deadly meaning. Indeed. Meanwhile, at Casa de Miguel, it's time for the talk. No, not that one. It's the I'm hooking up with your mom talk. Your mother is one fine woman. 
I wouldn't be expecting her home tonight. Boom! Oh, mother, no! Oh, well, he's not the first oily man that's taken mom to the mat. We should just be grateful that Miguel already knows what sex is because it's hard to imagine anything more awkward than Johnny telling him, Your mom and I are hooking up. And then adding, Not just hooking up. Uh, you see, when two people... Because Carmen is less than impressed. Two people are... By Johnny's delivery. Oh, no, Johnny is going to try and explain sex. Attracted to each other. I get it. You guys are dating. Miguel spares us all, right? So Miguel's been there, done that, I'm sure, at least a couple of times. But Carmen didn't want him to find out like this. They were waiting for the right time and place. A nice place. A Chili's or a Marie Callender or Red Lobster. But the seafood lover in Miguel is nonplussed. Yeah, Miguel and Sholo obviously doing the Lord's work of not breaking as they shoot this scene instead of looking maximally unimpressed, which he does. And Carmen asks if he's okay. And Miguel, right, a mature kid, says he's fine. At least in a set of school, his expression. He's surprised, but also not super surprised. He would have chosen someone with better food in the fridge. I mean, Sunny Delight is decent, right? But he says Sensei's a good guy. Carmen and Johnny are thrilled that it all went so well, but Miguel seemed a bit too okay with it. Yeah, Miguel thinks it's a load of baloney and not the kind of baloney that Sensei keeps in his fridge, or if you maybe know what it I mean. Is. Hello. Maybe it's the water, not the baloney. But you know what? We're very happy. Carmen is happy, therefore Johnny is happy, but Carmen wants to give Miguel room to adjust. Yeah, she notes it might take some time for Miguel to get used to the situation, and Johnny's like, oh, wait, that doesn't just solve it? Cut to Miyagi Do, where Dimitri is bemused to be holding some sai, the favored weapon of Raphael. Yeah, you'll find that Colin's knowledge of martial arts weapons might be inversely proportional to their representation on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Well, you know, <laughs> Donatello's weapon is the bow staff. He's pretty much my favorite turtle. That's fair. You like turtles. So Dimitri is unconvinced about this whole thing, and Sam's beside him, and she's annoyed that she can't just train to fight Tori. Instead, they've got to learn these skills. Yeah, the Miyagi-Dos are finally doing this weapons training hinted at in the previous episode. I see Chris is doing boards. I see an unnamed Miyagi-Do has the bow staff, the favored weapon of Donatello. Sam and Dimitri are working with different weapons on the deck. And also in the garden, Anthony's taking it in, excited that Daniel's going to let him learn to use some weapons. Except that's not what Anthony's going to be doing. No, no. Anthony's just auditing this class. Unfortunately, Anthony's level one, so his weapon will be a wet towel. A towel. Huh? It's a tough universe. There's all sorts of people and things trying to do you, kill you, rip you off. If you're going to survive out there, you've really got to know where your towel is. He has to do wax on, wax offs. Yeah, Daniel's so keen to tell Anthony that he was just like him when Mr. Miyagi first showed him this place. Has Anthony never even been there? No, we know he's been there because we've seen him hanging out and snacking on food there, right? Mm-hmm. Daniel, the ultimate cool dad, tells Anthony that he should think of karate like a video game. Oh, yeah, this pained metaphor. He just has to work up to level 12 with some of Dad's special cheat codes. How long has Daniel been working on that analogy? But I wouldn't bust out that game genie just yet because Anthony's more worried about the Wi-Fi. But alas, there is no Wi-Fi at Miyagi, though. You see, Mr. Miyagi had the dojo hardwired for Apple Talk back in 87, and that's how Daniel has kept it. There are no distractions at Miyagi-Do except for, well, constant pop-ins from Terry Silver. I know. 
That's right. So as they step back into the front yard of the dojo, Daniel asks Anthony if he's ready to begin his journey. Anthony's like, yeah. Then they turn to Mr. Miyagi's car collection for a little exercise Daniel likes to call soap on, crap off. Classy. Apparently, if you forget to cover your car in California, a vindictive valley quail, I wanted to say California condor, will splatter your sedan in excrement. And Daniel has inexplicably let all the cars, even the one nobody's driving, probably they don't run, uncovered. Although, you know, this does make me want a future episode where the cars all go to war. Oh, like in the movie Cars. Spoiler alert, I have never seen the movie Cars. Attention! When I'm finished with you, you'll have mud in places you didn't know you had. I've never been off-road! Hello, face! Drop and give me 20 miles! Go, 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 go! Okay, well, maybe they don't literally go to war. As it's a Paul a metaphorical. Yeah. I will see the movie Cars. Anthony makes a Jackson Pollock joke. God. As you can see, I forgot to put the covers on when I left. Oh, it's like a Jackson Pollock painting. But Daniel's so high on his own supply that he doesn't stop to appreciate that Anthony knows who Jackson Pollock is. Get ready for your first Miyagi-Do lesson. Yeah, that's a pretty good ref. So Anthony's going to clean the cars while Daniel helps Amanda at the dealership. But, you know, Anthony doesn't seem thrilled at all. And frankly, I'm not thrilled for him either. It's just... It's not working out. Daniel hasn't yet figured out that with his own son, you have to fit the curriculum to the student. Speaking of curriculums perfectly fitted to students, we got to zip over to Cobra Kai, yeah. where the angriest kids in town are getting the angriest curriculum in town. <laughs> Fellow soldiers, Crease and Terry, are waging a proxy war through their students. So Terry picks Piper. Ellsworth. For their little matchup, while Crease taps Tori. Nichols. And when Tori comes up, Priest asks her what Piper's weakness is. Her left. She telegraphs her kicks. Then you know what to do. So, yeah. Yeah, so it's Ellsworth v. Nichols. Priest has Nichols. You know what to do, he says. Sneer them to death, perhaps? Well, no. Piper lands a somersault kick with a big, big flourish. He's going to dance around and throw some. Tori quips. Why not both? Por que no los dos? Piper quips back. Was that directed at us? Well, the fight begins, and Piper puts on basically an acrobatics display, right? Because she's a gym whiz. Tori is not intimidated, and after they do this tough talk, the fight is really on. But Tori takes her down the moment that kick comes down the pipe. So, point crease. It's a great fight. 10 out of 10, no notes. And Crease has his gloating face on as Terry looks frustrated. They will continue. Meanwhile, over at Weber Industrial, nay Eagle Fang, Johnny tells the guys to get ready for a world of pain. This is Devin Lee, our new female champion. Just as certified girl badass Devin Lee enters the warehouse. Hi, my pronouns are she, her. Yeah, Devin Lee politely pronouns herself when she arrives. Good on her. Johnny says, The only pronouns we accept in this dojo are sensei and student. But those aren't pronouns, Devin points out. They're just nouns. I think what I meant to say... It's quiet! And for her trouble, she gets her very first quiet out of Johnny. Uh, it's kind of a badge of honor getting that at this point, right? It really is. He says today's lesson is about cheating. They don't believe in fighting dirty, but Cobra Kai doesn't play by the same rules, so they got to be ready for everything. This is sort of Johnny's version of Chosen telling Daniel that sometimes Miyagi-Dos have to go on the offensive, even if that's not what they want to do. I.e. the thing all people learn when they become adults. Yeah, you know, yes. Evan did her prep work, and she actually watched Bloodsport. You know, not to mention Delta Force, Billy Jack, the Octagon, and Lady Dragon. 
Yeah, Johnny appreciatively notes that someone did their homework, and Devin reveals that JCVD is only the tip of the iceberg between all of these shows. You have to get up pretty early in the morning to outprep a debate student, especially this debate student. Cynthia Rothrock is a beast. Hell yeah, she is. You know, I find that to be a little uh, bit of a Chuck Norris heavy syllabus. I would have probably had at least a little more Dudikoff and Rothrock in there, but that's just me. Well, yeah. And Chris saw Last Dragon, so that helps. But Johnny is not interested in what Chris last saw. Miguel gets pulled out of rotation for his own safety. How do we feel about that? Well, yeah, Johnny benches Miguel, and Miguel is disappointed, but maybe he'll feel better once he sees that the kids are literally just beating the shit out of each other. Now we get a classic Karate Kid slash Cobra Kai montage to the tune of Dirty Deeds Done Dirt Cheap. It's a dirty deed montage here on Cobra Kai. So yeah, Johnny's kicking the crap out of them. He's got them lined up with their arms tied around them so they can't fully defend. And he's tasked Devin with kicking them at first. She messes up once and tells Johnny that I pride myself on never making the same mistake twice. As this is happening, Miguel protests to Johnny. I, I can do this, Sensei. Johnny is not having it. I know you can, but you're way above this beginner stuff, right? Don't worry, you can help me out with the next lesson. Yeah, yeah. Miguel is starting to feel the sting of being not only Johnny's favorite student, but also now his ersatz son. And yeah, it gets pretty wild in this montage. Johnny tussles Miguel hair, which just adds to the weirdness between them. Ah! And Devin is tasked with the dirtiest deeds of all, which is a round robin of swift kicks to the groin. Johnny lines the students up for Devin, and she puts the eagles in a literal ball-kicking machine <laughs> as they are not wearing cups. So after Devin deals these low blows to the cupless eagle fangs, harming my McNuggets. I feel like you're going to vomit, just swallow it. I think also as Devin goes down the line of these boys kicking them, Bert wins the award for funniest face. That's got a sting for Bert, especially having a not low-key crush on Devin. Good work, Mr. Paul. Thank you, Meanwhile, at Cobra Kai, Kreese's champ Kyler finishes off a unseen Cobra Kai student, and Terry wants double or nothing on the next match. So Kreese taps Robbie, and then Terry decides to bring the pain. Kenny pain. Yeah, Robbie's weakness is pain. Yeah, Oddly on enough. so many levels. Yeah. First, we've got Kreese sort of snickering at Terry's choice because Kreese remembers Kenny as being somewhat in Kreese's worldview of a weakling. When he first came into Cobra Kai. That's true. Kenny did technically get in on the Robbie Keane scholarship. Plus, you know, really, Martin Coe's default mode in this season is just gloating. Mm-hmm, just mm-hmm. like, you know, like kind of like huffy, gloating chuckles. All things considered, this is a great season for Kreese. He's got everything he wants, really. Well, everything but that one thing. Everything but Johnny. Everything but... he's but... working on that. So... After Robbie and Kenny eye each other for a minute, the fight begins. Robbie gets in a kick. And Kenny looks hurt. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hey, are you okay? Robbie asks him if he's okay. Back to your corners. So then they go to their corners. Silver, when he gets Kenny back to his corner, he starts in on making a killing machine out of Kenny Payne here. He says, Robbie doesn't have a weakness. Everyone has a weakness. Terry's observed that Robbie has a weakness for Kenny, but more than that, Terry has observed that Robbie is compassionate. Robbie doesn't want to hurt his comrades, probably anyone, but especially his comrades and Kenny, who's been under his wing. Absolutely. So that's why he chose Kenny in the first place. 
he sees it doubling down here. Much like Kreese wants us to think, Kenny thinks that Robbie does not have a weakness. Indeed. Kreese tells Robbie, as they're on the sidelines, to quit playing with Kenny and take him down. Robbie goes in to do so, and they bow to each other. But at this point, when they start fighting again, Kenny is ready for Robbie. And so the moment that Robbie makes contact... Ken Kenny, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> Kenny feigns being more hurt than he actually is. And then when Robbie is concerned and pauses, he sweeps Robbie's leg, taking him down, delivering a victory to Terry. So what did we learn? Terry asks. The common belief is we shouldn't care what others think about you. But, Terry adds, What your opponent is thinking is key in war. In business, in a fight. Don't let your opponent think whatever they want. Make them think what you want them to think. Thanks for coming to my Terry TED Talk. So Terry gloats that Kreese owes him some beer. And Kreese reaches over and grabs his security blanket, a.k.a. his lapels. Cut back to Eagle Fang. Where what? practice is over, but Johnny tells Miguel not to be out too late because Carmen's got family dinner planned. Pete Clueless stepped at energy. Yeah, Johnny thinks he's being nice to Miguel by holding him back, but he wants Miguel to be home for dinner. The other eagles are not amused. Yeah, as Mitch tells Miguel, must be nice being teacher's favorite. And Bert asks him, which is always funny when Bert says something remotely cranky. Yeah, is he going to tuck you in? Speaking of getting tucked in, we zip back to Miyagi-Do, where Daniel arrives seeing that Anthony has tucked into these cars. He's done a great job. He actually cleaned them all up. Has he? He actually did it. Daniel returns from work to find all those cars sparkling. But that's when he runs into Artie, the task rabbit who actually cleaned them. And at this moment, as Artie is explaining himself, Anthony comes out saying they have a lot of flavors of Gatorade. Dad, Dad, hey, you're, uh, you're back early. And that's where he sees Artie telling Daniel what a task rabbit is. Anthony didn't want to clean the cars, and Artie adds, neither did he. But my cat needs hernia surgery, so I got the side hustle. Okay, could you just please leave? Daniel figures out that Anthony has been using his credit card for the task rabbit. So he's not even using his own hard-earned cash. <laughs> I, I'm absolutely flummoxed here. Although, it does bring up a question in my mind. Do you think that... Daniel has a personalized credit card with a little bonsai tree on it. Bonsai tree. Is it the official Miyagi-Do business credit card? The I, font is the Miyagi-Do yeah. font. Yeah, I would kind of love that. I mean, I would put it past Sony or whoever controls these things to give us a Miyagi-Do or Cobra Kai credit card. What would you get your points back on, though? Mm, kicks and or chicks. <laughs> wow, now that's the eagle thing. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. You're right. Mm. <laughs> does like Mr.'s Clippers in a History of Okinawa book. Definitely garden supplies. And Cobra Kai is just like anti-venom or venom, depending on your preference. Daniel adds, Part of growing up is to learn how to accomplish something on your own. Part of growing up is to learn to accomplish something on your own. Anthony doesn't know how to deal with Daniel. Daniel doesn't know how to de deal with Anthony. He wants to invoke Mr. Miyagi again, but that's when Anthony comes clean. All you ever do is talk about Mr. Miyagi. I've heard all the stories and I'm getting sick of it. He's sick of all this. <gasps> what? I know, sacrilege. How, how dare he blaspheme? Anthony makes it clear that unlike Sam and everyone else in the family, he doesn't really have a connection to Mr. Miyagi. Astonishingly, Anthony has lived here for what, at least 12 years? Mm-hmm. And you know, has never been part of this thing. Yeah, strangely enough, he's just been too busy playing Nintendo DS and then PS Vita and then, I guess, phone stuff now. He's also got some of his mom's trademark, Amanda Realness. 
right? He's like, I get it. She taught Samra first kick. The wax on, wax off. You know, I'm sick of it. That's all you talk about. I mean, can you imagine, you know, aside from every so often knowing a Game of Thrones reference to Charm Dimitri, Daniel only ever talks about missing Mr. Miyagi. That's true. He's a broken record. I mean, I don't even remember what Daniel was like before Cobra Kai arrived because we had only five minutes with him before we saw him begin to obsess about this. I guess he thought about espresso and maybe mm. Dean Martin songs because they played in the background during that first episode with Daniel. The bottom line is Anthony is not impressed with Mr. Miyagi. And by dissing Mr. Miyagi, Daniel has completely flabbergasted. Daniel can just huffily tell Anthony to go back to his video games and stalks off into Mr. Miyagi's house. <laughs> I get it, but Daniel's going about this in the wrong way. And it's unsurprising that Anthony's going about this in the wrong way because no one has actually prepared him to take up the mantle of Miyagi-Do. Indeed. So elsewhere in the valley at Casa del Johnny, we have, or is that Casa del Carmen? Yeah, I, it looks it's like... It's too nice. That Oh yeah, that's Carmen's apartment. Yeah, we're at the Diaz Hacienda right now. Exactly. They've got a plate of tomatoes and avocados. They're drinking what looks like either water or iced tea. I think that's iced tea. And Miguel has not shown for family dinner. Miguel's late and Carmen is mad. And Johnny thinks he should go. But Carmen wants him to stay and have her back. Johnny, however, remembers what it was like when his mother's boyfriends tried to discipline him. He doesn't want Miguel to think he's an asshole. Carmen wants Johnny there, but Johnny doesn't want to be another Sid. Miguel eventually does make it home, but then Johnny does a terrible job. We just want you to be safe, right? Right. Okay. Always wear protection. What? No. When it goes from being a little weird... No, no, don't wear protection. Johnny. Uh, you let the girl decide that. Just stop it. To being intolerable so, so fast. Yeah, Miguel walks in and Johnny tries to be sympathetic to him, only to get a look from Carmen that has Johnny pivoting back and forth. Why are we talking about condoms? This is so the father of the bride. Oh, I'll say it next time I see it. <laughs> Drive carefully. And don't forget to fasten your condom. Seatbelt! Amen. Seatbelt. Miguel has an outburst because this is all so weird. You said nothing was going to change, he says. Now everything's changed. He is over it. So now Miguel is unhappy, so Carmen is unhappy, and so Johnny is now unhappy too. Protection. Meanwhile, at the LaRusso Mance, Anthony is having flashbacks to a montage as the Miyagi-Do theme swells. Yeah, Anthony is in the home dojo, and he's looking at all of Daniel's accolades and trophies. The picture of Mr. Miyagi flashes back to his bullies, telling him, All right, LaRusso. Let's see your moves. Bust off some of that Miyagi shit. Come on, LaPusso. And he sees the box with Chosen Scroll on it, too, and squints to read the words. Words that, by the way, got lambasted on the internet because it does kind of look like a restaurant menu, but it's beautiful. Yeah, up on the shelf, he immediately finds the scroll with Chekhov's secret technique next to Daniel's bonsai trees. Bonsai tree. Anthony is having a bit of Miyagi FOMO, right? Well, yeah, I mean, Daniel walks in and is like, it's pretty cool. And he's hoping that's a technique no one ever has to use because Anthony's holding that scroll. And then Daniel asks Anthony what he's doing there. And Anthony replies, he never really knew Mr. Miyagi. You know, I've always felt um, out of the loop. As Daniel says back. Daniel says that when Anthony was born, though, Mr. Miyagi wanted to pick him up and Anthony kicked him in the face. We get the piece of trivia that baby Anthony is the first person to ever land a kick on Mr. Miyagi, at least according to Daniel. It's so weird. Like, did 
did Mr. Miyagi just die and it was so horrible that they couldn't talk about it anymore? Hmm, I don't know. Anyway, Daniel says that Mr. Miyagi laughed and said that Anthony would be a handful and that someday he'd be the one protecting this family. That sounds strangely bullish and old-fashioned for Mr. Miyagi. Like, is this the Karate Kid or the Godfather? Well, maybe Mr. Miyagi was thinking of Sato. Miyagi. Miyagi! Miyagi! You forget. You betray me. Then you die as you have lived. A coward. Perhaps so. Maybe he knew one day Chosen would be back for revenge. <laughs> Little did he know that maybe something else would happen. Indeed. <laughs> something so unlikely. Something like a future sequel on streaming media. Daniel just wants Anthony to be able to defend himself. Anthony says not to worry about it. Yeah, Anthony sort of softened up by Daniel saying that he doesn't want Anthony to feel pressured, but he wants him to be okay. Anthony wants to come clean about his lie, but instead he tells Daniel not to worry about this Cobra Kai kid. He'll course, handle it. Yeah, <laughs> somebody says, don't worry, I'll handle it. You should start worrying and maybe get someone else to handle it. Yeah, that's your first sign that it's not really okay. Meanwhile, at Sweet Valley High... Miguel tells Sam about his issues with Johnny and that it's a Jekyll and Hyde situation. And Sam is equally miserable because she had to babysit the Miyagi does and whatever Daniel's plan is, it isn't working. Miguel just hates that things are weird. Boy, just wait, buddy. <laughs> but Sam hates that Daniel is ignoring her again in favor of his son. What is this? House of the Dragon all of a sudden? And if the world of men is to survive, a Targaryen must be seated on the Iron Throne. A king strong enough to unite the realm against the cold. In the dark. One more accurately, Daniel's so busy trying to conjure a boys' champion from thin air, he's taking Sam for granted. Enter Johnny! Miguel! There you are, I've been looking all over for you. Somehow Johnny has worked his way back into the building. He's gotten back on campus. It, it, he's gonna try and pull Miguel out of school. It's the middle of a school day. Yeah, he says, history is for nerds, play hooky with me. This is in line with Johnny's own historical precedent of avoiding the history teacher. He's gonna write Miguel a doctor's note. Miguel is reluctant, but we pan over to Sam, who has Johnny FOMO. Looks like. Meanwhile, at Sweet Valley Junior High, we open with Anthony standing in his locker, looking at the Cobra Kai hoodie he lifted from Kenny. Did he bring it back to school to return it? Anthony is pondering the Cobra Kai hoodie when Leah interrupts all of a sudden with tales of fried Oreos and the inverted pirate ship at the fair. But... Uh-oh, Kenny is invited too. Awkward. You know, since she said that Kenny is invited too, that puts a little damper on the situation. But Anthony is going to talk to Kenny anyway, right? He approaches Kenny, says he'd like to start over. But Kenny says he's got nothing to say to Anthony. Anthony's enablers are also there. So the minute he throws this olive branch out to Kenny, Kenny already deep in the pocket of Cobra Kai, gets completely aggro with Anthony. Kenny has already been observing long enough to know that Anthony reacts to being called the Pusso. So he calls Anthony that, the bullies are listening in, and they don't hold back. It becomes a situation where Anthony's friends are vicious, but not as vicious as Kenny. A few Lupusos later, and it's another big chase scene, but it quickly becomes a scene from Prey as... Kenny kills the lights and stalks the kids through a darkened library. There's something out there. I'm trying to protect you. Protect me from what? Anthony does chase Kenny through the school because his friends have egged him on. They're running behind him. 
And Kenny leads them to the library, but it was, of course, paging Admiral Akbar. It's a trap! A trap the whole time. It was all in service of catching Anthony alone. Yeah, when the lights go out and the, the when the lights go out, the bullies separate, and so they're trying to divide and conquer Kenny from multiple angles. But Kenny takes them all out one by one with brutal efficiency because he's been training in the special ops room, and of course, Anthony is the last to go down. As Kenny whispers taunts at him. Guys. And then once Anthony gets him, he says, "I finally got you alone," and he's holding Anthony, winding up to punch him. What's going on in here? When the lights come on, and lo and behold, an actual authority figure breaks up the fight. I guess it's the junior high version of Counselor Blatt. They are busted. Cut to the Eagle Fang warehouse, where Johnny's got Miguel up on a beam that's next to the chain that Daniel climbed. And they've got some watermelon wedges. Looks like they're spitting seeds into the void. Miguel is reticent, and Johnny asks, What's the matter? You don't like watermelon? Miguel thought it was just for the training. Does Miguel know Johnny as well as we thought? We'll find out. Miguel thought they were going to have another awkward conversation also, but Johnny's there to level with him. Johnny is acting weird because he's new to being a dad. Johnny has his story about how... It's only because I don't have any experience with this. He didn't want to be like Sid or Kreese, and he doesn't want to make those mistakes with Miguel. Yeah, he owns the fact that he gets freaked out, and Miguel says... So that's what happened with Robbie, right? Aspects are the most compelling aspects of Johnny Lawrence when he becomes storytelling Johnny mm-hmm. and not like bragging Johnny but revealing himself to Miguel. Clearly, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. He says that his dad left when he was a kid. He could never figure out why this happened and Miguel fills it in for him. Cheated, right? Because Miguel understands a little bit of that. And Miguel asks Johnny, perhaps revealing something of himself, if he ever thought to look for his dad. But Johnny says he was afraid to find out the truth. And Johnny also explains, I took all that bullshit I felt from them and I put it on Robbie's life. This is really great acting from Billy Zabka. You know, Johnny's tearing up, but he's not the only one because there's a lot of weight on this conversation for Miguel as well. And talking about Johnny being together with Carmen, Miguel says that some things are going to change. I don't know. There's also a lot of things that I want to stay the same. Like you being my sensei. And his face there, man. Miguel still wants Johnny to be his sensei. Ugh, that's so good. And of course, there's simpatico in this moment, right? But, you know, now Johnny senses a transition. He says, you ask for it, coming down from the chain on the beams to pull up a tarp off of a crate full of watermelons. What's with the watermelons? One of the most badass kicks in all of karate. Of course. It was for training. The flying tornado. Uh, He has this mechanism to hoist the watermelons up in the air to practice the flying tornado. A real pain in the ass to master, he says. It's one of the most badass kicks in all karate is the flying tornado. Oh, okay. So it's not a reference to Twister. Cow. I gotta go, Julia. We got cows. No. Okay. Johnny wasn't sure Miguel was ready. He adds, Miguel doesn't mind a little pain, does he? No, Sensei, Miguel smiles. And then we hear Sam say, Neither do I. What? Sam's here. Nice place he got here, but could definitely use a woman's touch. Very big, I'm with you too, energy from the Return of the Jedi briefing. So, you know, like when Luke Skywalker walks up because Mon Mothma has laid out all the stakes of their fight against the Death Star and the Emperor, and it's going to be Han and Leia and Chewie with the strike team they assemble, but there's Luke Skywalker there to help him out. 
Okay. Yeah. Just like that. You probably um, didn't need me to explain that. But it's fun anyway. In my favorite line reading of It Needs a Woman's Touch Since the Parent Trap. Not nearly enough potpourri in that coal pit. Exactly. That's when Sam walks in saying she doesn't mind a little pain. Johnny asks if Daniel knows that she's there. She deflects and says that she told him that she'd be learning both styles. And that's what she's going to do. So not answering the question directly. Another huge red flag. Since when has anyone in Cobra Kai noticed a red flag at the right time? Meanwhile, at Not-So-Sweet Valley Middle School, Mr. and Ms. LaRusso arrive to find Anthony in trouble this time. Yeah, Amanda is clad in power aubergine, and Daniel's in his suit, and both are hurrying into the building. And Amanda says she can't believe this is happening again after what Sam went through. Can she really not believe it? And Daniel says that he'll make sure this Cobra Kai bully doesn't get off light. So they round the corner to see Anthony and Kenny seated together, and Daniel asks Anthony if he's okay, and of course... Anthony, both of them look sullen. And they settle into these chairs in the principal's office. Amanda says they expect there to be a severe punishment right out of the gate. And the principal replies that there will be. He's spoken to the parents of the other offending students, and they'll be suspended, as will Anthony. And this is where Daniel says, What? None of this is Anthony's fault. What's his name, Jam? It's George. George what? Georgia Glass. George Glass. Sure, Jan. The principal has video evidence. I like a cop show. The vice principal has all the CCTV footage to prove it was Anthony that did the crime. I'm afraid we have proof. What's that? It's an enhancement program. Can you clear that up, Benny? I don't know. Let's enhance it. Enhance section A6. I enhanced the detail and... I think there's enough to enhance. Release it to my screen. Enhance the reflection in her eye. Let's run this through video enhancement. Edgar, can you enhance this? Hang on. He also has a supercut of Kenny bullying footage just to drive home the point. I appreciate that they have an editing team and their security department. We see the security camera footage of Anthony and the bullies chasing Kenny down the hall. We see the TikToky video of all the milk flooding out of Kenny's locker. He has the same question that I did, which is... I still don't know how they got all that milk in the locker. The principal says, Anthony and the others have apparently been cyberbullying Mr. Payne for some time. The Miyagi-verse has truly leapt into the 21st century. I wonder if there's a bonsai tree app. Bonsai tree. Yeah, the principal has seen enough evidence to conclude that Anthony has been a real bully this year. And whoa, Daniel's face as he turns to look at Anthony. Kenny brightens when he sees it, and he flashes like this creepily satisfied grin and says to a disgruntled Anthony, I got you. Daniel's face as the principal drops the b word around the Luruso house the b word is bully. bully kenny has really adapted well to the quicksilver methodology indeed cut to cobra kai where the special ops room is now kitted out with a bunch of expensive branded exercise equipment terry's sitting on a folding chair with his feet up on the equipment reading an old paperback translation of hobbs's leviathan subtle Funny that he hasn't splurged for a fancy massage chair, but we all know that he likes the pain. And as Thomas Hobbes, the author of Leviathan, famously said, life is nasty, brutish, and short. Priest walks in brandishing that six-pack of beer. Terry exclaims, Whoa! Are those bomb we buy? All 33s. They've changed a bit since the war. Clearly an old favorite from their days in Southeast Asia. And Priest notes that they've changed a bit since the war, with the implication that Terry has too. 
adding to the victor go the spoils. Which then leads into this awkward exchange where Kreese has a story about a squad mate. The good old boy from Utah. A soldier that didn't follow his leader. He wound up walking into a minefield of sorts. Not even a metaphorical one, an actual minefield. Kreese recalls that the soldier was on patrol and decided to jump rank and take point. Wound up walking directly into a minefield. Blew himself to kingdom come. And Kreese added that... <laughs> we don't have the luxury of forgetting. Nor should we. Good God, Kreese, methinks thou dost protest too much. It's one of those speeches where every line is punctuated with an implied get it get it and terry winds up to ask if this is about the students facing off earlier today but crease tells terry quiet i'm not done speaking lieutenant you told the students that i have a weakness and it made me wonder Kreese does that passive-aggressive thing where he overcorrects for a thing that happened yesterday. Kreese doesn't like it when someone else talks shit about him to the class. Kreese is mad that Terry told the students that he had any weakness at all, but he talked about him, and Kreese says, What do you think my weakness is? Well, you fake your death too much. That's that, damn sure. That is weakness number one. At any rate, Terry hedges, and Kreese notes that he's afraid to tell him, and so then Kreese presses and asks him, if he remembers the cage that they were imprisoned in in Vietnam. You were like a puddle of piss. And adds that if it, if it wasn't for me, you'd still be back in that pit. And tearing up this time with rage and sort of shock that Kreese is going there, Terry says yes. And Kreese tells Terry that he got him out of another cage more recently, a.k.a. Cheyenne's gilded cage. As we flash back to this previous season's trip to Vietnam, Kreese tells Terry he got him out of that cage and Terry needs to follow his lead. Because there's a lot of landmines out there. And if you don't watch where you step, it's all going to blow up. And Terry asks, is this also a metaphor or is this literal? And Kreese says, por que no los dos? <laughs> and just to drive the point home that he's the King Cobra, Kreese extracts a beer from that six pack as his tribute. You don't mind, do you? No, Captain. Close in on Terry. Terry looks incredulous, betrayed, and enraged as in that final exchange and this crease walks off. This seems to me very clearly the moment in which Terry decides either to destroy Crease or to set up a test for Crease. Right? Like this situation has become untenable for Terry. Something's gotta change. And end snake, but put a pin in that thought there because we will come back to that in just a moment. The show has dedicated this episode to Albert Olmsted. So, what a nice thing. I'm not sure which one of us made this note, but it is indeed, no pun intended, a great episode in terms of content to mine. And now is one of my favorite parts of every episode, where I turn to you, Jenny, and I ask, what do you think of this episode? So, when we first watched this episode, it was less memorable to me, then the immediately preceding episode, Kicks Get Chicks, and it sets up a lot that comes next. If you're doing a quick binge, it might not stand out to you. But in terms of the rewatch and, and looking at all the moving parts of this episode, it's ingenious. There's a lot of stuff going on. The dialogue is really tight. It's very intense between Kreese and Terry. It's very intense between Daniel and Anthony. There's a whole lot of setup. Anthony getting in trouble with Kenny. The weakness thing. 
there's just a whole lot going on that is, it's up in your head. And the characters carry it off flawlessly, even in moments that shouldn't be believable. When Anthony's like, I never had anything to do with Mr. Miyagi's stuff, even though there was a dojo in our house. The way that the show has played out and the way they carried off in this episode feels very real. So on this art, nth viewing, I really found a lot to, to chew on in it. Fair. I think there is quite a bit going on. A lot of intensity just under the surface in this episode, as you pointed out. As far as the most recent thing you said, the idea that Sam and Anthony could be raised in this house and not have like a concept of karate. The way it's presented, I feel if we think back to season one and where we picked up with these characters right at the beginning, Anthony was completely wrapped up in his video games. Sam was completely wrapped up in her social life. It wasn't clear exactly how much Daniel was doing Miyagi-Do at that point. We know that the home dojo had been the storage unit completely taken over with pool toys. So it seems clear that if they weren't practicing Miyagi-Do household, the bonsai trees had certainly gotten dusty at that point. Let's put it that way, right? That's fair. As far as the other stuff that's happening in this episode with Kreese and Terry is pure intensity. Like you said, they're waging this proxy war with their students against each other. Appropriately for Vietnam special ops soldiers. Picking their favorites and pitting them against each other. You know, Terry's got his hooks into young Kenny, whereas Kreese goes with Tori and Robbie. And we also get a lot of their relationship fleshed out in a great way that doesn't rely on the Vietnam flashbacks, which we spent a full season stewing in. Not that that wasn't great, but I like to see the characters now retconning that relationship rather than virtually flying halfway across the world to (laughs) flesh out that relationship. I'm definitely digging that. It's interesting to see Crease on the defensive, whereas in the previous season when he did the hostile takeover of the dojo... Crease was this sort of sneering villain who said he was going to melt the snowflake generation. Now he's continually wrong-footed by Terry. He doesn't know it yet, right? But he fails to see that Terry is somewhat more committed to the vision of Cobra Kai that Crease laid out than Crease himself is. Terry won't say it, but Crease's weakness seems to be his superiority complex and his ego. He has a much easier time believing that Terry is incompetent rather than Terry is actively working to undermine him. Well, not that Terry's incompetent, but there's a weakness to Terry that the rest of the world doesn't see, but that Kreese knows is there and that will always be there. And that he enjoys exploiting. Yes, exactly. And he just takes that for granted, which is a mistake. Right. Hence the minefields. Like if this episode title is a reference to something in the original trilogy, which it well could be. I don't remember what it is, but that line at the end drives home that the focus of this episode is the fraught relationship between Terry and Kreese and how that maps onto the other students at Cobra Kai, how any interaction there is a minefield. And also, tension is ratcheting up everywhere. Mm -hmm. Well, you also bring up another interesting point during the recap which was you said that this is the moment 
at the end where Terry decided to go ahead and usurp Crease in so many words. And I think that's interesting. Going back and rewatching these and dissecting these, it is very interesting to think about what Terry knows and when he knows it, mm-hmm. to put it in the parlance of our time. Mm-hmm. Because Terry in the first episode doesn't want to come back. Right. Crease convinces him to come back. And then he goes very quickly from being reticent to being, quote-unquote, all-in mm-hmm. on Cobra Kai, to the point where he is basically now fully bankrolling everything that Cobra Kai is now doing, right? He's getting the equipment, he's getting the uniforms, like, he's fi- they're fixing up the dojo. Is he doing this with the intent of being true partners with Kreese or with the intent of pulling the rug out from under Kreese later? And when exactly is that turning point? Because yeah. if he... Hadn't hit it already, he definitely hits it in this episode. It's part of Cobra Kai's philosophy to exploit your opponent's weakness. Yes. Terry did it long ago. He's doing it again. And I think that Terry is attuned to the fact that Kreese has a soft spot for Johnny. He's already talked about that Kreese struck first Mm -hmm. by recruiting Robbie. But I don't think that Terry was like, I'm going to entrap John Kreese by having students do a weakness thing. Tori gave him the opportunity and Kreese's reaction to it was instructive to Terry. Terry has shown up. He heard the, the I was going to say the cry of the, but it's not, snakes don't cry, they hiss. Oh, when the cobra like extends its hood? <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> yes, the wind whipping through the cobra's hood. Terry heard that and he showed up for Kreese, I, I think. But what has happened is that he never treated Terry with the respect that he expected from Terry for himself. Right. And after a while, that has to hurt Terry because he's done everything he can to atone for his prior weakness. And he really wants to do what Kreese told him they would be doing. But Kreese is trapped in these little proxy battles. One last point I would love to make is that Terry being a business guy has set up a classic a-hole boss move where <laughs> he has laid out a trap for Crease to fall into. Yes. He knows that his weakness is Johnny. He set up this situation where Crease, if he goes after Johnny, then he proves Terry's point. Therefore, Terry would have no compunction about firing him or usurping him or taking over Cobra Kai since he's already started to lay the groundwork for that anyway. So if in his mind and therefore, you know, to the greater world, it would just look like he's being a good businessman by kicking Crease to the curb, right? Of course. Again, beating Crease at his own game of being the more proficient CEO or whatever. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I wonder, too, if Crease has been Terry's weakness, like we see it in the way that he bows to Crease and always has, right? I imagine that in the meetings to prepare for Terry's return in Cobra Kai when they first devised the show... What they looked at about Kreese and Terry's relationship was why the hell, aside from the gesture at Vietnam, like really why is he so indebted to Kreese? Dude who sucks. That he, the most powerful man in the Dynatox empire, would do all this stuff. And I think Kreese wants to hear that he, Terry, is Kreese's weakness because, you know, he's given that great gift to Kreese. Why can't Kreese do the same for him? Like, it's very personal. For sure. Do you have any other thoughts about this episode? So many thoughts. Yeah? You know, what about Daniel? I'm just thinking about how clueless Daniel has been about Anthony. 
And has Daniel forgotten what he said about his own son in the second ever episode of Cobra Kai? When Anthony is playing whatever video game at the country club, you know, tiny, adorable, evil Griffin Santa Pietro, and Daniel wants to kill him because he's just being, you know, a malinger there. Yeah. And I don't know why Daniel expects Anthony to be receptive to the Miyagi-Do message when there's so much hard work. And from an external perspective, it's not like life is easy as a Miyagi-Do either. Mm -hmm. So why is Daniel surprised that Anthony's a bully when Sam was consorting with bullies in season one? And Daniel eventually, I think, came to terms with that to some degree. And Daniel should at this point understand but he's just so blind and so high on his own supply i guess i also think there's a meta element here which is just the way the show has evolved and grown it ties into what we were talking about in the previous episode kicks get chicks where they clearly had a blueprint for the show in the first couple of seasons on YouTube and either by design or by coincidence or because they move networks or whatever, the show has, on the surface, it all feels very consistent. But you find as the show goes on, there are less characters that are there just for the joke. Like in season one, Anthony as a character is there just as a joke. Wouldn't it be funny if Daniel had one kid who was just really awesome? The layabout son. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then they realize at some point is like, oh, crap like we can't keep doing this one note joke with anthony we have to make him like a fully realized character and then suddenly griffith san pietro shows up behind amanda in one of those scenes and is like oh holy shit not only is grown like a weed he's also now like a fully realized guy and we're like oh okay well now the show is taking a turn i also wonder just speaking of anthony like can his puckish energy be converted into an asset for miyagi-do because you know, one thing that Daniel has had kind of whipped out of him is the ability to be a smartass. When he first met Mr. Miyagi, it was kind of a mouthy kid from New Jersey. Yeah. And Anthony's got some of that back. And like, and also that sort of mischievous energy, I think we're going to see because of Chosen, right? Like we know that Miyagi-Do has had mischievous people in it before, like Mr. Mm -hmm. Miyagi himself. And I wonder, like both in the universe of the show and for the writers, how Anthony's arrival in the dojo, because clearly he's interested, even if he's not like automatically on board this episode, mm -hmm. you know, will change things. And what will that do for them? What does that open up? And what does that do for Miyagi-Do as a dojo in terms of its strength and the ability to defeat opponents? One of the recurring themes of this season and the end of last season mm -hmm. are really stupid all-or-nothing bets. Yeah, it's a lot of... I mean, Crease and Terry's look like the most low stakes of all, but a really low-key low key gambling addiction in the Miyagi-verse for some reason. <laughs> I did not see that coming. I mean, maybe it's a legacy of somebody like Uncle Louie that we never spent much time with. I think that it's also, like, it keys into the whole idea of, like... A lot of karate dojos are founded by ex-military who bring martial arts back with them from the field wherever they're stationed. And a lot of military downtime is just like hanging out and doing stupid stuff like playing cards and making stupid bets and just kind of like that kind of bro-y behavior. I think some of it kind of evolves out of that. Yep. You've got 
you know, Daniel and Johnny's dumb bet with Crease. You've got Daniel and Johnny's dumb bet with each other. That, you know, is all or nothing mentality. And now this very low stakes looking wager between Terry and Crease. It's actually about a whole host of stuff that could bring a dojo or at least its leadership down. And I'm wondering why they need these trials of strength. I mean, I get that this is a martial art. I think it also all goes back to the original Karate Kid movie. Isn't the whole premise of Karate Kid 1 essentially a low-key wager where Mr. Miyagi busts into OG Cobra Kai? Actually, he was just politely intense, but yes. The whole crux of that movie is built around this idea that, oh, if... If Daniel wins the tournament, like, Cobra Kai can't mess with him anymore. Mm -hmm. So the entire Miyagi-verse is kind of hinged on these kind of honor bets. And so I guess this is all an extension of that idea as well. I mean, Karate Kid 2 also. Yeah. I mean, the first season of Cobra Kai with the All-Valley. So if if season four of Cobra Kai gestures toward i'm not going to spoil the ending even though everyone listening to us has probably already seen it but gestures toward a reversal of karate kid part three where terry comes back and is in power then what could we see the first season of cobra kai and that first all valley is the reversal of the karate kid part one where cobra kai wins johnny lawrence wins you know miguel wins instead of robbie the miyagi do all that to say what happens to the loser of the low stakes bet like, what if Daniel had lost the All-Valley to Johnny Lawrence? Would Johnny Lawrence have continued to bully him? Or would it be a thing? I'm thinking about how when Sam and Miguel in the previous season argued for the return of the All-Valley. And they said, basically, we need a venue to work out this bullying because they're going to bully us in real life. So the tournament is a form of public witnessing mm-hmm. of a person's social self, Right. There's a famous text in anthropology called The Balinese Cockfight. And it was written by Clifford Gertz, who was a famous anthropologist in the 70s. And he might have written it before and then incorporated it into a book in the 70s. But he and his wife observed cockfights in Bali. And these guys who had no money would place extremely lucrative bets on Mm -hmm. fights. Why would you place lucrative bets that could cost you everything? And it was all about the idea of deep play. You know, there's something about this, the public witnessing of something that is its own moral universe, its own, it outstrips the call of reason and like rational economic thinking. Oh, you mean like war? Indeed! (laughs) Well, that's what I was going to say. Like, aren't all sports just proxies for war, right? And then in the Miyagi-verse, aren't all sports just proxy for interpersonal conflicts, which are proxy for generational conflicts? It's proxies all the way down. (laughs) Ironically, Clifford Gertz once said it's turtles all the way down. Well, there you go. Wow. Having been into sports as a kid and then gotten out of it and then as an adult just wanting to see more in sports than some of the terrible things that happen wanting to look for like our buddy jessica hosts burn it all down pod who look at all kinds of interesting examples of people doing sports that aren't in this dystopian way right Mm -hmm. so i don't want to say that all sports is war but i do think that sports becomes a way of negotiating that it becomes a way that we hold space for those feelings that could then be activated as a proxy for war just ask the english premier league one (laughs) 
I think that one theme that I believe that the creative team behind Cobra Kai are going to tap is it's not just winning. It's what you do with your victory or your loss that defines you as a person. Mm -hmm. And they're forcing us to confront that question as people deal with the anticipation of the tournament, the fallout from the last fights they've had. So I get it. Having said all that analysis, every time these guys make a dumb bet, I'm like, you men... None of the women on the show are making dumb bets. You guys need to calm it down and get some non-karate therapy. Fair. So having mentioned Clifford Gertz and his story, I'd like to get back to the idea of texts because we have Terry reading Hobbes' Leviathan. Oh, yeah. That was an interesting poll, wasn't it? Right. And the fight between Leviathan, which is all about like life is struggle, and other people from around his time, like John Locke, who were like, we have to reason through life and figure things out. It's so interesting. Are they setting up an opposition between struggle-based karate and reason-oriented karate with Miyagi-Do at the other pole? Or is it just that Terry wants to read deep shit about people justifying violence? I think it was the first, because what is Cobra Kai, the origin of Cobra Kai, if this retconning is to be believed is a life and death struggle being played out by proxy in their own dojo right yep whereas miyagi-do get drunk and float up on the shore somewhere and learn martial arts yes or if chosen is to be (laughs) believed to defend off against the kind of invaders that cobra kai creates yes why not both indeed yes yeah it's all very interesting in the sense that there's a larger narrative going on here and we could probably spend all day peeling this onion from war to sports back to war again (laughs) it's true before we get to mvp i have one final question regarding analysis and that is what is miguel's significance to johnny and is johnny taking him for granted okay so the short answer to your question is yes he johnny is definitely taking miguel for granted and i think we have not seen the end of that i think it's going to get a lot worse before it gets better and miguel's significance to johnny is kind of similar to what's been happening with the Karate Kid franchise since Mr. Miyagi. This is the relationship that works. So this is the one Johnny wants to go with, right? It's Johnny and Miguel get along great. Miguel knows he's not Robbie, and they know that that there's always going to be this tension, right? Presumably, season five's on the horizon. We'll just see how that that relationship develops between the three of them. Cause I think we're going to get a lot of advancement there in season five. Mm-hmm. But for now, Miguel is the only father son relationship that Johnny's ever had that works, including his own. So he's satisfied with that and wants to explore that. And I think it's one of the great few healthy things that Johnny engages in. Right. Yeah. And so I think every, all the other characters see that in his life and want to encourage that, whether they are doing it consciously or not. But the flip side of that is that Johnny's not the introspective type either. So he sees his relationship with Miguel, sees that it's going great, doesn't see any potential for it to go astray. And so he becomes dependent, perhaps even over-dependent, perhaps even to the point where he's just blinded to the fact that Miguel might not be happy or to the fact that Miguel might be looking elsewhere. What makes Johnny happy doesn't necessarily make Miguel happy. Precisely. 
Now, let's get to MVP. I would love to hear who your MVP of this episode is. Well, having talked about this for a little while and having peeled this onion back, I think I'm going to have to give it to Anthony because he goes on a real journey this episode. He's been on a journey already. His journey's far from over. Mm -hmm. But I think this episode specifically marks a real turning point for Anthony as he really spends a lot of time processing his relationship to his dad and to Miyagi-Do in general. You know, it's a real dark night of the soul for Anthony today. And of course, Griffin Santo Pietro does a great job of taking this character who was originally just a one-note character and fleshing him out and making a real case for Anthony as a character that we can care about. Which, again, if you'd asked me in season one of Cobra Kai, I would have been like, oh, that's absurd. That's science fiction. But yet here we are. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to have to give it to Anthony. Congratulations to him and to Griffin for nailing it this week. Some contenders for the role for me for this week were Miguel Sholo, right? Because of that scene with Johnny and the watermelon. I also thought about Terry. Thomas Ian Griffith. Because, oh, a rare MVP for Terry. Yeah. Although I think I think Terry's moment may be yet to come. Fair. So for me, it's kind of a toss-up because I feel like Terry is beginning to show himself in a way that that's really complicated for Thomas Ian Griffith to play. You know, he's angry, he's hurt, he's all of these things at once, but he hasn't like upturned a table and told John Creese, screw you, we're done. Or, I guess, flipped over exercise equipment. Terry's not the type. No. Well, unless it's a bottle of expensive wine and then look out. Yeah, exactly. He'll he'll destroy that shit. Yeah, because he's not okay, Cheyenne. He's not okay. But I also, frankly, landed on Anthony. Really? Yes! And I'm sorry to the people who are listening who are like, I can't stand that character because I understand. Or the daily double sound that we're about to hear. Uh, Again. I'm sorry, y'all. Like, but he's great in this. And... And, I mean, he is great as Griffin Santa Pietro. Obviously, when Anthony hires the task crowd, I'm like, screw you. But at the same time, it's hilarious and not in the way that season one Anthony or even it's a, called a growth spurt dipshit Anthony is hilarious. Mm-hmm. It's a new kind of funny where we see someone reacting realistically to Daniel wanting him to basically scrub bird crap off a car without any kind of explanation, without any kind of like, this translate into an arm move, like... Daniel wanted the head trick and manual labor more than he wanted to actually connect with Anthony. I think that he did a great job of delivering a lot of different emotions in this episode and making Anthony a person Mm -hmm. and not just a bully either. So way to go. Well, and then the other thing that I'm realizing having had this conversation now is the idea that both Sam and Anthony, particularly this season, are going on this journey where they find themselves dissatisfied with Daniel's parenting and dissatisfied with Miyagi-Do as a practice. Mm -hmm. And I think also part of that factor is you brought up earlier, it's like they were raised with Miyagi-Do. Why aren't they more familiar with this stuff? I would say the opposite. They were raised with Daniel. They were raised with Miyagi-Do values, if not the actual move set. And maybe they feel like they know Daniel and all his tricks. They do. The reason Mr. Miyagi's stuff works so well at Karate Kid 1 is that Mr. Miyagi was a fairly cryptic person to Daniel. So when he asked him to wash the cars, he did not see the karate coming. But obviously, Sam and Anthony 
know Daniel. They know that the karate is coming. So they're like, well, why are you asking us to wash the cars? We you Precisely. Can, yeah, if you want us to wash the cars, wash the cars. If you want us to actually do the, the kata, just ask us to do the kata. Well, <laughs> like, and, and Daniel didn't have the money to hire a task rabbit to kick Johnny Lawrence's ass. That's true as well. Also true. And then the other prediction I want to make about Anthony is that if not next season, certainly before the end of the series, I think Anthony is going to design an app for Miyagi-Do that will help tear down Terry's Cobra Kai empire. Wow, I like that idea. Yeah. The worm takes over the snake. I love that. Let's put a pin in that. Do you have an Easter egg that you would like to note? Let's see. I mean, a lot of good Easter eggs this episode. It's not necessarily a direct reference back to anything that happens in The Karate Kid, but I think there's a lot of good, fun, authentic details in Terry and Crease in their Vietnam service. Like, For sure. Yeah, they're betting the beers, and the beers are like an actual Vietnamese beer, and they make reference that it's changed since the war. I'm sure it is bottled by a big company now instead of just like cheap beer you would find on the battlefield, right? I think all those details of those with those guys is pretty rad. So my Easter egg is not an in-universe Easter egg, but it's an extended Miyagi-verse Easter egg in that we know that Jean-Claude Van Damme is a big fan of Cobra Kai. So I think I've actually called that one out as an Easter egg before. Mm-hmm. But I love, and just more than JCVD, I love that Devin lists out all those movies. I think the oh, martial yeah. arts movie call-outs are pretty great. I mean, there's a lot of good details in the home dojo scene. There is this mystery scroll that I'm sure will be very critical to future events at some point. Again, if not in season five, certainly before the end of the series, we got to figure out what's on this scroll and why it's so amazing. Yeah, it's not just that you're numbing people's limbs. Right. There's more. Has to be more. It's got to be something so great. Like, I mean, obviously, I'm sure not even the writers knew what it was when they came up with Scroll, but they were like, oh, we we got to plant this seed early so that we can pay it off way later. I mean, we got crane, crane technique, we got drum technique, we've got the n- limb numbing whatever you want to call Chosen's deal. Yep. And then Chosen had several other scrolls. This is just the one that Chosen decided to lend Daniel. In season five, Chosen could just show up with a suitcase full of scrolls and be like, let's do this. <laughs> Little does Cobra kind know that all Miyagi-Do has to do is wave a scroll and they just crumble into dust. Whoa. Yeah. No. And Indiana Jones. So Indiana Jones. Well, I think we've pretty much done everything we can with this episode. Yes, we have covered this one top to bottom. So Stem to stern. So, yeah. So, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, at Karate Kid Pod. Email us at karatekidpod at gmail.com. Be That's part right. of the conversation. Rate, like, subscribe, wax on, wax off, do all the things. Yes. <laughs> Please do. And that will help us grow the show. If you like the show, certainly tell somebody about it. We would appreciate it. Until then, I'm Colin Cannaday. I am Jenny Carlson. And we'll see you around the Miyagiverse. See you around the Miyagiverse. Are You Karate Kidding Me? is hosted by Colin Cannaday and Jenny Carlson. Intro music is by Chepo. Cobra Kai music is by Leo Bierenberg and Zach Robinson. Karate Kid music is by Bill Conti. Rate our show on Apple Podcasts or your podcatcher of choice to help grow our listenership. Email us at karatekidpod at gmail.com with questions and comments. Or find us on social media. 
Use the Twitter handle at KarateKidPod. This podcast is independently produced by Geckring Media. Media.